Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Monday edition of the John Sanchez Show podcast. The following program is sponsored by Sanchez Wealth Management. Material on this program is intended for general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. None of the information contained in this broadcast is intended to be a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. Further information is available by contacting John at SanchezWealthManagement.com or by calling 800-1801. John Sanchez is a registered representative offering securities and advisory services through Independent Financial Group, LLC, a registered broker, dealer, and investment advisor. Member FINRA SIPC. Securities only offered in states John Sanchez is registered in. Now, the John Sanchez Show on News Talk 780 KOH. Good Monday evening to you. Welcome to the John Sanchez Show on News Talk 780 KOH. Pleasure to be with you. Pleasure to be with my co-host, Mr. Jason Gott, a.k.a. the Professor of Sanchez Wealth Management. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. How you doing, John? Fantastic. Fantastic. It's well-ish. 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 Or, 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 yeah, I was going to say, as good as could be on a uh, on a day like today, but, uh, yeah. you know. <laughs> it makes, how about this? Some of those uh, goosebumps from the sort of, you know, about a year and a half ago. You know? Didn't it though? Didn't nice it gap. though? I, I looked. I heard this morning, like, oh, you know, Dow futures down seven hundred points. I'm like, wow, I haven't heard that. Yeah, in a while. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, definitely been a definitely been a while for that one. That's mm-hmm. for sure. Makes makes for great radio. Yeah, we we oh, have yeah. plenty of things to talk about this evening. That's for sure. All right, my friend. Well, let's lay out what we do have to talk about. You know, as as Jason and I have discussed for, I guess probably this is going on at least the third week. Um, and really, really gave you uh, some some concerns that we had on Friday of a day like today. We need to go back and explain what the heck happened. So the market has grown very concerned over a number of different factors. But unfortunately, today, <laughs> a lot of those factors came to a uh, came to a fruition, as the saying goes, and that created the market sell off. So what we're going to do tonight is we're going to share with you the details of what happened today, why it happened, and again, try to help you position your portfolio to uh, ride out this volatility that we've been, again, warning you about for about the last three weeks. So, Jason, um, let's go back to this morning, uh, as you indicated. Uh, futures were down. I'm looking at my notes right now. My first stock update at 523. We're down about 660 on the Dow futures. Uh, next report down about uh, 631, then down 576 right before the open. And uh, we thought that was bad. And then, of course, uh, things began to uh, seesaw and move all around <laughs> throughout the entire day. Our, our peak of the of the market today happened at about 645. So, you know, not long after the stock market opened. And then it was just a almost a, a you know, a nice gradual left to upper left to bottom right graph going down. And then we reach, um, let's see here, about, uh, oh, I guess about 11.15 or so, according to my time and sales chart. And that's when we bought them for the day and managed, you know, I'll give you the good news, everybody. The good news is we rebounded 357 points from that low of the day to where we closed at. So there's the good news, right, Jason? 357 yeah. rebound, uh, like I said, in the last roughly hour and a half. 
The bad news is we still finished down significantly, 614-point decline on the Dow, 1.78%, closed at 33,970. NASDAQ, a 330-point decline, down 2.19% to 14,750. 14. S&P down 75 points, 1.7% 1. to 4,357. And the Russell 2000, worse uh, percentage-wise of the other three major averages, a decline of 2.44%, down uh, about 65 points to 2,182. The lows, just to show you the volatility of today, the low to the high of the Dow Jones Industrial Average today, 1166 points pretty significant like jason said we have not seen a day like this in quite some time so jason i'm going to uh, hand it over to you and then i know then we're going to kind of go through a bullet point list of the things we we discussed on friday to reiterate them today now that you know brand new week and and now these these concerns have come to fruition and then i want to share uh, a story on cnbc because it's much easier to read this uh, scenario to you than to uh, just kind of paraphrase because there's a lot of moving parts. And what I'm talking about is Evergrande, the uh, major Chinese developer that we discussed on Friday uh, and how they had a, a, an impact in today's trading session. So the floor is yours, my friend. Yeah, I mean, again, uh, at this point in time, sort of coming in from Friday, et cetera, is uh, I still view the move in the market today as uh, an excuse to sell, not necessarily a reason. Um, I think uh, overall the market sort of had been poised to 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 do a little trend line break that we have uh, been able to avoid for uh, uh, as we've talked about uh, months and months and months and months mm -hmm. into many 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 options expiries. You sort of have this you know uh, BTFD buy the blank and dip mentality, mm -hmm. and you know at some point the market was going to test that. Uh, We've looked and seen sort of deteriorating underlying, uh, be it technicals, uh, be it stock-specific moves, sectors, et cetera. Sectors, yeah. It sort of alluded to the fact that that was coming soon. Um, you know, you certainly felt it in the spidey sense to some extent. And, you know, the market today with the news that happened over the weekend, you get a, a bit of both, which obviously we'll elaborate on, that really just sort of led to now you've got a trend line break, you've got post-options expiry that creates this big gamma vacuum that, you know, had kept the market fairly constrained, and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, you you go bowling with the kids and then pull the bumpers out of the, you know, the <laughs> side. They think that they're the best until all of a sudden mm -hmm. it's like, wait, I can lose? And so I think uh -huh. that's a bit of sort of what happened today, and you saw, you know, a pretty decent de-risking event, certainly on some of the, the areas that had been really strong recently, like the cyclicals and materials, energy, etc., um, that, that sold off the most aggressively. And then as you you know would obviously expect, the more defensive areas like utilities and healthcare and things along those lines did less worse. Um, you know, but it was just, to me, again, it felt like uh, 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 what you would expect post-expiry um, from terms of, uh, you know, a bit of a gap move, but obviously the Evergrande situation sort of caused it to feed, um, and the pundits on TV obviously just got all excited and so on and mm -hmm. so forth. So <clears throat> just quickly, I think from a S&P standpoint, I tend to look there first. I think we've got, you know, sort of pretty reasonable support, uh, at least at this point, around the 4225, 4250 mm -hmm. level, which we talked about, which is also, you know, kind of early uh, mid-May highs. 
and also mid-July lows, the two areas I see on the chart with the most volume and the most sort of reasonable levels in the market. And, and that's, that's the 200-day moving average also, right? It, yeah, it's pretty darn close, yeah. 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 I mean, we sort of knifed through the 50-day today without yeah, break. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, there's, there's uh, going back to the chart looking at least from the lows back in COVID, uh, this is the biggest sort of over, you know, gap that I see. Um, yeah. You know, normally you'd have a down day, uh, you know, followed by a down day, but there wasn't just a big sort of gap in the chart, and that's what you had today, um, right. you know, which is, you know, it's a bit of capitulation. It was healthy, at least, to see the market uh, fill in at the end of the day. Again, uh, you get an overnight headline of this being, uh, you know, China's going to, whatever, make payments on this loan mm-hmm. for these guys, and okay, now that's off the table. Now what? Yeah. Right? And so, yeah. that's at least, issues, huh? yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, uh, as long as it doesn't become contagion, it's a, a single event, but, you know, as you said, things can sort of spiral in either direction. Well, I think, you know, this is, let's look back over what we've been warning all of you about here. And, and that is, we, we've given you the headlines, uh, you know, day after day, week after week. And, and, and again, those headlines, the, the Evergrande situation is relatively new, about mid part of last week is when we started talking about it. But we've, we've been telling you about the debt ceiling issue, the infrastructure issue, the technical factors, as Jason just mentioned, um, how we were seeing internally in the market, how a number of the different areas of the S&P 500, to Jason's point, we're, I mean, uh, we're down literally 20%, a bear market, but yet those type of things don't make the headlines. And so the first learning lesson is, number one, don't ever not miss, don't, don't ever uh, miss the show, of course, because that's what you got us for is to do, you know, all this, all this legwork for you. But the, the, the main lesson is, is look and see, you know, you got to go deeper than the headlines, because like Jason said, bad news sells. So you're going to get all the pundits and we, we listen to them all day today saying, you know, the world is coming to an end type of scenario and everything was about Evergrande and this could be a Lehman Brothers situation and on and on and on. Um, but the bottom line is, is, is you have to, you know, there's no surprise that this happened, right? A lot of people were calling for this. I, we, we've shared with you Goldman Sachs's comments, Morgan Stanley's comments. I mean, hell, one of the Morgan Stanley analysts came out today and said, you know, worst case scenario, 20% correction, right? In the, in the S&P 500. So there's a wide range of things out there. But, but the bottom line is to, to kind of take all of those factors and boil them down to one thing. The term that I was using a lot last week, Jason, and you were using a hypochondriac market right? We could have easily today, we could have easily today just had a normal day, but we've been talking ourselves into this market's bad, this market's bad, this market's bad. And all it takes to Jason's point is one headline overnight and like the Evergrande situation. And, and then all of a sudden you use that as the excuse and then, Oh, okay. So here comes infrastructure. Here comes this, here comes that. And you just pile one atop the other, but it all starts with the, the hypochondriac type of scenario. We as investors and the stock market as a whole, we can talk ourselves into anything. We could, if you got enough people coming out tonight, tomorrow morning saying, you know what, this is one heck of a great buying opportunity then guess what? The market would probably do it because none of these issues are enough to create a, you know, nearly 2% decline today. But, but when we think, you know, again, it's like, eh, I got a stomach ache. Oh, geez. Uh, I've got a full case of the flu or, Hey, you know what? I just got a stomach ache, right? Depends upon your mental attitude of, 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 of how it is. And the stock market is such an emotional mechanism. That same type of thing happens. It's like, everything is just uh, magnified and this is what's been leading up to this. And so, 
you know, I think, Jason, I think it's very good probability. You know, here we had, like I said, roughly a 2%. We're, we're roughly 5%, if, if I remember correctly when I ran some numbers this morning, we're roughly 5% off of our high. Maybe you can validate that for me. Uh, roughly 5% off of our high of the S&P. So as you and I both know, we're on the fence now, right? Meaning, historically, when you go 5 you know, 10 can come pretty easy, right? Or five can be the line in the sand and you can go, okay, we had a little bit of a 5%, you know, hiccup, no big deal. And we start moving up. So I think tomorrow is going to be a very, very critical day. What would happen if you combined old school with, well, we're not sure yet. Ross and Ryan in the morning on News Talk 780 KOH. Welcome back to the John Sanchez Show on News Talk 780 KOH with Jason Gottam, Sanchez Wealth Management. Again, a 614 decline on the Dow. NASDAQ lower by 330, a 75-point give up on the S&P 500. Oh, it is such a great pleasure and a great honor to have our dear friend John Towsley, Goldman Sachs Asset Management, as our very special guest. John, you know, I, I think I'm going to, even my producer was whispering in my ear during the break, I think we're just going to make it a rule that it's going to be a big day either up or down when you or one of your cohorts join us on the program. It's like clockwork. So great to hear you, my friend. Great to hear you. <laughs> Hey, John, thanks for having me on. It's so funny. I was thinking the exact same thing. It's like, were you really? I don't think I've, we, yeah, we've never called in before, uh, without a day where something was really going on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, it's so great to have you. Of course, uh, joining us is Jason. Hey, John, how you doing? Hello. Hey, Jason. Good to chat with you as well. All right, John, I'm, I, I don't know how long you were on hold uh, before uh, we went to break, but um, I, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to Jason and I's uh, you know, brief summary during that first segment of the show about what happened today, but uh, I'm going to turn the floor over to you, and let, let's get your perspective on today's uh, market sell-off. You know, John, I did catch the tail end of that, and I thought you guys were, were spot on. When you have you. events like this, strategists, the media, we all kind of scramble to figure out how do we bring sense to what was going on? And I think it's easy to bring sense to the, the weakness today. I mean, we've got the evolution of COVID cases. We've got slowing global growth. We have a Fed that's about to start talking in real terms about the taper. We've got uncertainty around fiscal policy. I think the market is sniffing out that this debt ceiling may be a little more problematic than, mm-hmm. than prior ones. You know, and then we have obviously uh, the Evergrande from China. So, like, it's easy to build the list, and I think you guys built built the right list. What I would say is, I'm going to take a step back and say, okay. it's kind of always easy to build a list. It's it's it natural as an investor to be able to identify things that can spook the market. But but first and foremost, pullbacks are inevitable. What is unique about 2021 is actually how long we've gone without a pullback. Uh, the likelihood of having a 5% pullback, and we're now down four from the high, but a 5% pullback is 100% in a calendar year. So this is like so normal, and it's frankly healthy. The probability of having a 10% pullback in a given year is 75%. And so we frankly, by at least by a calendar, are kind of due for for some of this cleansing of the market. And then the last point I'd make, is that when you see days like this, it may not be fundamentally driven. Uh, There are sometimes technical pressures, sizing, positioning, sentiment, seasonality. This is August and September are notoriously bad 
periods for the market. And so there are a lot of technical factors that have nothing to do with earnings, nothing to do with GDP, nothing to do with profitability, but they will manifest themselves in market weakness. And it is almost always just a moment in time. And so it's not to say they aren't real, but the, but the motivating factor today, in our view, is not so much um, fundamentals. It's probably a little bit more of a, uh, of a te- technical weakness in the market. And you also had, sorry, just to jump in, I mean, you also had, again, this, they're going to focus more on realized vol versus implied, but, you know, a VIX that stubbornly stayed north of sort of 18, 19 for some time, whereas that, you know, sort of vol-focused crowd probably looks at their book in general and was thinking about uh, reducing exposure and then sort of was mandated to reduce exposure today, so it may have caused a bit more of that move, I would expect, too. Yeah, I think, Jason, I think you're right. Selling begets selling, especially when you see it in size. And so that is a natural progression. It still keeps it kind of technical. It still keeps it a little bit painful. But it's really important as investors that we can delineate between what is this cascading series of technical pressures in the market versus what's fundamentally driven. I don't, like, I'm not going to profess we know exactly where we are in that, but it did feel a bit technical today. Yeah. Explain that in a little bit more detail, John, for those. We, we talked technicals on Friday. Jason and I went through a lot of the technicals of the S&P 500, the 50-day moving average, and what the charts are showing. But give the audience your perspective, if you would, please. Yeah, maybe I'll take a little twist to it. I, I think that if you think about um, a car race, like, like the 24 Hours of Le Mans, there are all different types of racers on that course. You have the factory racers, you have the privateers, and different speeds and different capabilities of vehicles. That's not all that different than the stock market. You have different investors that are skilled and motivated um, by, by, by a different approach. So many of us on the call today are what I would call fundamental long-term investors. We buy, we tend to hold, we like the companies, we see them in our cupboards in the house, we buy the products. And so we're, we have a vested fundamental interest in the stock. There are other investors um, that are basically picking up pennies and nickels with a bulldozer. They're institutional, <laughs> high-velocity, high-frequency investors. And so if you think about the famous quote from Oscar Wilde, you know, the market knows the price of everything but the value of nothing. There are investors in the marketplace that couldn't tell you a good stock from a bad stock. They're looking at charts. They're looking at factors. And they're trading in a very high velocity based on that. Now, that creates great liquidity and helps the markets function really well, but they're motivated by something totally differently, and sometimes they all converge in sell signals, and the more they sell, then, as Jason said earlier, then they trigger additional selling. And so, again, just it's important to recognize that the, the stock market is a place for all types of investors, and when we say it was a technical day, sometimes it just means it was a, it was a plethora of investors that aren't really concerned about fundamentals. They're just concerned about charts and trends, and they're, they're doing high-velocity trading for, for, for pennies and nickels. But if they do it enough, they can make, you know, they can express their view and be very profitable at the same time. Yeah, and, and hence the 357-point yeah, uh, move that we experienced in the last, you know, roughly hour off the lows to the close. So it was, uh, right. I was watching a very close, I was watching the DIA, uh, very closely representative of the of the uh, the Dow, and uh, boy, there were some big institutional orders coming in on the buy side, and then get a couple institutional sells, and, and then here comes the buys again. So 
Yeah, I was I was explaining to my wife. It's like, see, that's the institutional side because these were large, large, you know, multi hundred thousand share orders coming in very, very quickly. So, you know, the old, yeah. the old algorithms were were hard at work today. <laughs> yeah, and but, but like this is an interesting point, John. The market has really struggled selling off because there's five trillion dollars in cash that's looking right. for a home. And so I, your point before the break, you know, reveals to us because historically you get this this much of a move in the market and the cash shows up pretty quickly that wants mm-hmm. to get deployed. So I sure. still think that this is a market that's going to be really hard to move lower just because there's so much cash wanting to be in the market. Perfect. All right, John, when we come back, uh, let's chat a, a bit about uh, China's uh, Evergrande situation. we got the debt ceiling infrastructure. We'll try to squeeze all that in, of course. Our very special guest tonight, John Towsley of Goldman Sachs Asset Management. Weekdays at 12 noon. Let not your heart be troubled. Sean Hannity on News Talk 780 KOH. Welcome back to the John Sanchez Show on News Talk 780 KOH with Jason Gunn of Sanchez Wealth Management and our very special guest, John Towsley of Goldman Sachs Asset Management. Again, a 614 decline on the Dow, the NASDAQ down 330, the S&P lower by 75. All right, John, uh, great uh, overview along with Jason uh, during that last segment there. Now, let's start to get down to some of the specifics, which is what we promised to the audience tonight. What caused today's market volatility? So let's talk about Evergrande. Uh, Jason and I went into some details on Friday in regards to the uh, the situation there. You know, obviously a massive, massive property developer. Uh, they own, you know, over over a million apartments. They're in all kinds of different businesses. And, oh, by the way, they have $300 billion worth of debt. Give us your summary and then the million dollar or trillion dollar question. Do you think the uh, People's Bank of China is going to come in and, and prop them up a little bit or... There's a part of the street that says, nope, China's not going to help them out, and it could be potentially a Lehman Brothers type of situation. So uh, I think it's going to be right there in the middle. So you're right. Evergrande Group is huge. Uh, I think it's got um, 1.4 million properties that are currently under construction and are in development. And so this this is a really large, ubiquitous entity in property development in China. And over the years, they've experienced tremendous success. They were founded in 1996. But over the last couple of years, they've also expanded in some businesses that are unrelated to real estate, <laughs> like electric cars, soccer, theme parks, mineral water. Bottled water. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, you know, I, listen, we'll be the first to argue for diversification. But you, you want to be careful with how much debt that you take on. And so I think that the Chinese government, what we're really looking at is a managed debt restructuring. And I think you're going to see three major things with this. And and the last thing China wants, particularly with the Olympics happening next year, there is Mm. to have this property and real estate contagion for a year in front of the Olympics. That's not what they want. So what they're probably going to do is have other real estate developers come over and take over the unfinished projects, which is going to be a huge lift in and of itself. They will force Evergrande to dispose of their non-core assets, so probably say goodbye to the theme parks and the electric cars. And then, as needed, they will probably provide capital injections. So um, we don't think you're going to get a full-scale bailout for sure, but we also don't think they're just going to step away and you're going to get a full-scale Lehman event. But I think you know Chinese leadership wants to send a message. One, this is a private company. So it's probably not, uh, in their eyes, deserving of a full bailout. Um, I think at the end of the day, uh, this company 
is the poster child for excessive borrowing. So they want to send a message for companies that think that they can that they can do excessive borrowing. And let me put it in perspective. The average global um, property developer, their financial leverage ratios are about 2.3 times. The average in China is 6.2 times, and Evergrande is at 14 times. So they are way over the ski tips in debt. And so at the end of the day, I think this is a sector that, that Chinese leadership says it needs more discipline. We're going to manage through it, but there is going to clearly be a lot of pain and a lot of restructuring going on here. Uh, our, our base case is it should stay generally localized to China, but that's the whole issue in the market right now is where's the contagion? Maybe I don't own it directly, but I bet I own something indirectly, and everyone's scrambling to figure out what the indirect right. ownership looks like. You don't like think they bring the, the, Jack Ma out of retirement to come run the company? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no? Yeah, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> Jackson hiding still. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, go ahead, Jason. Yeah, no, I, I think just along those lines, I think you're spot on. I think it, it feels to me uh, certainly contagion can be a part of it, and, and I don't think we're uh, any of us know yet if that's going to happen, uh, what the heck the event's going to be. But net net today just felt more like an excuse to sell than or a reason to sell than, you know, a uh, uh, a true event that's going to, you know, sort of take down the markets overall. We're just extended, and you know, uh, some profit taking was to some extent due, and resetting uh, uh, the chips a bit, at least, is how it felt overall. I completely agree, John. Let's go back before we get to debt ceiling and infrastructure. Let's go back. Uh, we were we've been chatting about uh, your firm for for quite some time. What's it been now? Three weeks, I think, somewhere around there. When uh, when you guys made the call of lowering your GDP forecast, and it wasn't long after that that Morgan Stanley came out and in a few other firms over the next few days. Can you take us back to what you guys saw to to do that? I know you you blamed COVID and you blamed a lot of different things, but can you give us some more detail and color behind that? Yeah, I, I think, listen, um, let's just first off put everything in perspective. The economy is running about 100 miles an hour coming into this with all the, the policy stimulus. And what we're talking about is lowering our numbers to expect slower growth, but not slow growth. So we're basically taking our foot off the accelerator and coasting down to 70. So, yes, we're dropping our numbers because we feel like the Delta variant has proven to be um, a little more impactful in terms of the recovery of the private sector. Uh, That's really the main driving factor. And we do think that there is some elongation in um, when we're looking at peak growth already. We're looking at moving into fiscal drag from a fiscal tailwind that we've experienced. And so a lot of the things that have been pushing us forward now become, you know, don't, don't do it as, as much. So it's a little bit more of marking the market our numbers. I wouldn't, I wouldn't read too much into the reduction. It's less about slower growth and more about pushing that growth from the fourth quarter of this year into the portions of next year. So, you know, I think this time next year, we're probably looking at, a Federal Reserve that is wrapping up their asset purchases altogether, inflation probably um, having high base effect challenges, not low base effect challenges. And so you're probably looking at much lower inflation and you're looking at much lower growth as we have fiscal drag in the system. And so we might be a run rate of, you know, two to two and a half percent this time next year. And so 
the world's going to look a little different, you know, and we say moderation in all things. And I think that's what we're looking at is moving into a period of moderation of growth, moderation of earnings, moderation of rates. And, and that's okay. Investors can do just sure. fine in a period of moderation. Yeah. I love your analogy. Yeah. Going hundred miles an hour. Now we're just coasting a little bit. I think everybody, everybody can welcome that a bit. <laughs> so yeah. it's not viewed as negative. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think it's healthy. Right. You don't want to, you don't want to overheat things. And, no. um, you know, I, again, we've talked about this a lot. We're, we're kind of push starting an economy and, you know, when you're pushing on an economy before you pop that clutch, you want to make sure you have enough momentum. I think it's yeah. clear we have enough momentum um, so it can be self-sustaining, but you know, there's a lot of noise in the data when you, when you pop that clutch on an economy. And so I'd also encourage your listeners that when you, when you see an inflation print right now, there's so many imbalances between supply and demand. We haven't been able to start up things as quickly as demand has recovered. I'd still say, be careful looking at a piece of data today and extrapolating that as the, the new trend. We're still trying to get things figured out as you reopen the economy. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. Jason. So based on that, just kind of as a follow-up, if you guys, uh, if you think you're going to miss, do you think you're going to miss to the downside as far as inflation or to the upside? It sounds to me like you think lower. Like if you're wrong, you're probably, it's, it's worse uh, uh, in terms of a growth, a.k.a. than weaker sort of inflation numbers versus higher. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Um, and, and I think the market is positioned for, Maybe the, the risk being to higher inflation mm-hmm. than expectations and a Federal Reserve that's going to tighten sooner. And we would probably take the other side of that position and say, no, we think if you look at the data, you, you know, for example, if you look at inflation, 62% of what we buy is not cyclical. Doesn't, doesn't, it's not sensitive to um, economic pressures whatsoever. It seems like financial services and healthcare services. I mean, heck, I broke my left arm twice this year and it costs the same to repair it both times. There's not, there, you know, I'm not seeing inflation in, in certain areas. And so I think it's important for people to remember that while we do have these supply chain and these huge resurgence in certain areas of demand, that's probably not sustainable. And, you know, you're, you're looking at everything that's causing high inflation this time next year will actually probably turn into a drag on inflation next year. Um, So I would say, yeah, relative to a lot of the fear out there about the Fed tightening too soon and inflation being too high, we'll probably the other side say on the margin, those numbers are probably going to be weaker and, and longer than the market expects. Perfect. All right, John, when we come back, I want to wrap up on three points. One, uh, your outlook for the uh, Federal Reserve meeting this week. Uh, Of course, we'll have an interest rate decision on Wednesday, and then a brief, brief discussion on the debt ceiling and infrastructure, all the battles going on in Washington. John Towsley of Goldman Sachs Asset Management, our special guest. Weekdays from 3 to 5. This is where Reno comes to talk. Dan Mason on News Talk 780 KOH. Welcome back to the John Sanchez Show on News Talk 780 KOH with Jason Gunn and John Towsley of Goldman Sachs Asset Management. 
All right, JT, boy, we've covered a lot in such a short period of time as always, and we're so grateful for you joining us this evening on a, on a really tough day today. But uh, I think you're making the audience feel a little bit better than uh, the way they felt at the beginning of the show tonight uh, after they looked at uh, where this market finished at. So I want to wrap up on, uh, on a couple different uh, issues. Uh, the first one, we have the Fed interest rate decision, uh, of course, and followed by the press conference this Wednesday. Uh, obviously, no one's concerned about the Fed raising rates, but obviously very concerned about what Jerome Powell may say in regards to the bond buying program. Is this going to be the meeting where they announce the, the uh, slowdown of the $120 billion a month or not? I, I think it is. Uh, you know, our, our expectation is that there's a little bit of a dance to this. And the first step in the dance is to hint, officially hint to the market that tapering is coming. And that's what we think we get this week. We get the official Hint. And then in November, we think we actually get the announcement of the tapering. And this is super fluid. We're not quite sure. There's a lot of debate. But our working theory is that in November, they will start by reducing asset purchases by $15 billion per month. Now, there's a total of $120 billion being purchased per month right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, we think that they'll reduce it $15 billion per month, per or not per month, per meeting, and that would wrap up asset purchases by September of next year and allow the next phase of, of policy normalization, which is raising interest rates, to be considered uh, later in 2022 or into 2023. Um, there is a narrative out there that has many of the FOMC uh, decision makers feeling like they should reduce it a little more quickly, like not rather than every meeting every month. And that would put asset purchases uh, concluding in in June. So here's the here's the take. This is this is a big deal to the market, and you know there will be some volatility around how clear they are on on September as to what they think this program might look like and how quickly it will conclude. And over the last couple of weeks, it seems like the, the tone has moved towards concluding it more quickly than uh, originally anticipated. We still don't think rates move up um, until into 2023. Uh, perhaps as late as 2024. And this gets back to our prior conversation before the break, which is when this all wraps up this time next year, you're looking at slower growth, contained inflation. (laughs) And that may change the the arithmetic a little bit about how quickly you want to raise interest rates. Okay, very good. Yeah, it'll, uh, of course, be very interesting to see the market reaction if this is the meeting where they where they drop, as you said, the the, the uh, serious hint of reduction of the bond buying program. It'll be interesting to see the market's reaction. Uh, market's been calling for wanting the Fed to start reducing. Let's see if indeed they applaud it or uh, you know give it a, a thumbs down. Mr. Gaunt, you want to wrap us up? Yeah, no, I just think along those lines, it was interesting to see sort of how the ECB just did a stair step and then stopped. Yeah. I wonder, you know, do, uh, you think the Fed just sort of sets a strict timeline in order to just tell the market, hey, look, uh, don't throw a fit because it's going to continue? Or do you think they sort of, you know, uh, uh, take the easy way out and, you know, hey, we're starting, but we'll subject to blah, blah, blah? Yeah, I, I think what the Fed has learned in the last several years is that they want to err on the side of hyper-transparency. There is no value in surprising the market. So I, I, I would expect them to be as clear and transparent as possible on this topic. Thanks, John. Ten-second sec- ten answer, John. Debt ceiling infrastructure, does the deal get done? Oh, it gets done, but not without a lot of pain. Okay. <laughs> we'll we'll leave that uh, in our minds as a big old question mark. Yeah, nice. <laughs> I love that summary. JT, always a great pleasure, my friend. I hope family and everybody's well. All the best to you, Jason. Take care, everyone.
Thanks, guys. Right, take care, everybody. Thanks, JT. Thanks, J- Jason. We'll do it again tomorrow night on the John Sanchez Show. God bless. Have a great evening. On air, online, on demand. News Talk 780 KOH. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.